Turn in Holy Scripture to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 20. In connection with Lord's Day 39, we read a short portion of this chapter, beginning at verse 20. Reading through verse 28. Let us hear the word of God. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Here we end our reading of the Holy Scriptures on the basis of this passage and the entire revelation of God. We take for our instruction, Lord's Day 39 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which explains to us the fifth commandment. What doth God require in the fifth commandment? That I show all honor, love, and fidelity to my father and mother, and all in authority over me, and submit myself to their good instruction and correction with due obedience, and also bear, and also patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities, since it pleases God to govern us by their hand. Second Peter 2 verse 10, in describing the wickedness of the last days, includes among its chief characteristics this, that men despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, They are not afraid to speak evil of 
dignities. There, the Apostle Peter explains the reality, which is readily apparent to us as we live in the last days, that there is a contempt for authority, for those in authority, and for every sort of authoritative standard for how one should live his or her life. The pervasive spirit of our age is one of lawlessness in which man demands the right to do what is right in his own eyes. But along with this contempt for authority, it is also characteristic of our age, and not only ours, but throughout the ages, all the way back to the first sin of Adam, that there is great and gross abuse of authority. So that those in authority use their authority for their own gain, for their own advantage, and to oppress those who are under them. Both of these characteristics of the spirit of our age show us man's view of authority. Man by nature hates whatever authority he is under, and man by nature wants to use whatever authority he has for his own honor, his own glory, and his own gain. Fifth commandment comes to us this morning as an important spiritual corrective to the spirit of our age. In the fifth commandment, God instructs us as his people how we are to view authority how we are to conduct ourselves towards those in authority over us, how we are to exercise whatever authority God may have given us in certain spheres of life. God tells us in his word how we are to view authority. In the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother This commandment gives us the proper biblical balance. We are to set aside both the gross rebellion against authority that we see in the world today and that is in our sinful flesh too, as well as avoid the gross abuse of authority which we see in the world and is in our sinful flesh too. This is a relevant word that we need to hear because the cultural atmosphere in which we live so easily becomes a part of us thinking of the world so easily creeps in to our minds, our lives, and to the church too. We need to view authority, conduct ourselves towards authority as God would have us to view it and to conduct ourselves toward it. And so let's consider the fifth commandment this morning and its important instruction to us under the theme, God's command concerning authority. We're going to begin by looking at the uniquely Christian concept of authority, Secondly, the implications of that concept. And finally, the supreme example of it. We begin now by taking a bird's eye view of what the fifth commandment concerns, namely authority. Jesus teaches that there are essentially two views of authority. There is the view of the world, which is the view of fallen man, and therefore the view of our sinful flesh. And there is the view of God's word 
God's revelation, which is specifically taught us by Jesus Christ in Matthew 20, the passage which we just read. In the passage we read, Jesus explains the marvelous, beautiful, and uniquely Christian concept of authority. And so we're going to begin there, seeing what authority is in order that we may properly put it into practice in obedience to the fifth commandment. And so on the first point, We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at what authority is. We're going to look at the source, where all authority comes from. And then we will look at the unique character of that God-given authority. Authority is a real thing. It's something God has ordained. Authority is not something that man makes and therefore we need to throw it off because it is inherently repressive. No, authority is something that God has built into his creation. Authority can be simply defined as the God-given right to rule over other people in a certain area of life. Authority involves the right to make rules, the right to make decisions that others must follow and abide by. And authority includes also the right to uphold those rules or laws by the proper God-ordained means. Authority is something God has ordained. Now, the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother, mentions the most foundational sphere of authority, the most basic form that God-given authority takes, authority within the home and family. God has given authority to father and mother in the home. Father and mother have the God-given right to make rules or laws for their home, which the other members of the family, children, must abide by and obey. God has given the authority to parents to uphold those rules by means of discipline, using the God-ordained means of the word and the rod administered with love. And every other authority relationship in human society has really grown out of that most basic one of the home and family. Civil government is an institution of God, as Romans 13 tells us. But historically, that institution grew out of the family, out of the patriarchal family unit, such as we see in the days of Noah and Abraham and the like. Government has its proper sphere of authority. God has put government in place to make laws regulating the life of broader society, maintaining good order and decency, punishing evildoers and rewarding well-doers using the proper means God has given to it, the sword. And likewise, in the church, God has instituted a certain authority, though that authority is of a strictly spiritual nature. And that authority is exercised not using the means God has given parents, the rod, not using the means God has given the state, the sword, but through the use of the keys of the kingdom, the preaching of the holy gospel, and the exercise of Christian discipline. Authority is something God has put in place. And that gets us to the second important thing to see. The source of authority. God. God. All authority is God-given Authority. Authority. The right to rule. The right to make laws. The right to uphold those laws. It comes from nowhere else but God. It arises from who God 
is in himself. He is God. He is the sovereign one. He is the creator of all things. And thus he has the potter's right over the clay. All authority belongs to him. But now God, who is a God of order, is pleased to rule his creation, the works of his hands, using creatures which he puts into positions of authority. And the important point to see here then is that authority is never held by any creature inherently. It never comes from who we are or who a person is or their status in this world. Authority is always from God, conferred by God. And therefore, no human authority is ever absolute. God alone possesses absolute authority and he gives certain authority to certain persons person only has the authority that God gives him. God, and God alone, is the source of all authority. And thus, all authority must be under, under God's authority. And that is important to see. Any person who is in a position of authority is under authority, under the authority of the God who gave that specific authority to them. And that means all authority must be exercised in strict obedience to God and his word. When God gives authority to someone, parents, your home, teachers, in the school, the governor, the president, The office bearer in the church, when God gives authority to someone, that person does not then have the right to exercise it how they deem best or in the way that they think they should, but they are strictly bound to obey God, his word, his revealed will for how that authority is to be exercised and to be used. When God gives authority to someone, that doesn't make them a law unto themselves. They're bound to God. So we see that authority is a certain God-given right to make rules and to uphold them. That authority has one source. The source is God himself. And now, third, the character. The character of God-given authority. And here is where we really get to the heart of the uniquely Christian conception of authority. Part of that unique conception is that all authority comes from God. But now the character of that authority, it's servant authority. Or to put it another way, ministerial authority. It is self-giving rather than self-promoting. Authority and its exercise of power is to give and to bless rather than to get and to gain for oneself. Servant authority. God gives authority so that the one in authority is uniquely equipped to serve those God has placed under his authority. And that 
unique character comes out, especially in the scripture passage that we read, Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. The occasion here is an interesting request made by the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. She comes to Jesus and asks him to give her sons a special position in his kingdom. One of them sit at your right hand in your kingdom, and the other at your left. And you understand what she's asking there. She's asking Jesus to give to James and John the two most prominent, honorable, and authoritative positions in Christ's kingdom. Let my sons be your right-hand man and your left-hand man the two chief ministers of the king. Now, we see there's genuine faith expressed here in the mother of Zebedee's children. She believes Jesus is king. She believes he has a kingdom and that he is establishing that kingdom. And her mother's heart naturally desires that her two sons, who were two of Jesus' closest disciples, should occupy positions of highest honor in Jesus' kingdom. And yet, her request betrays a misunderstanding of what true greatness is. Jesus gently responds to her and tells her, it's not mine to give. There are those that the Father has prepared that seat at my right hand for. And there is another for whom he has prepared the seat at my left hand. And what follows then is the ten other disciples learn about this request of James and John and their mother, and they become upset. They're moved with indignation, the text says. They feel as though James and John are trying to lift themselves up above the rest, and their response betrays the same spirit and the same misunderstanding of what greatness and authority is. Who are you, James and John, to think you're better than the rest of us? Who are you to think you should occupy those seats? We're all on the same level. You're not greater than us. And this whole event then uncovers a misunderstanding about what it is to be great, what it is to have status. What it means to have and to exercise authority. And Jesus, the master teacher that he is, takes opportunity now to instruct his disciples about the true nature and character of authority. Greatness, authority, are not what man makes them out to be. They are not what we see in the sinful world in which we live. They are not even what our own sinful flesh thinks they are. Servant authority. And so Jesus draws a contrast. Verse 25 of Matthew 20. Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. Jesus is saying, among the Gentiles, among the nations of the world, this is what authority looks like. It's top-down dominion. Those who have authority use that authority to press down others beneath them. Those who are in authority view those beneath them as being their servants. Those under authority exist for those in authority are to serve the great ones. 
And that authority is maintained and exercised through the use of force, compulsion, fear, intimidation, all of the rest. Power comes top down and presses down on those who are beneath that authority. That's the view of the world. That's how authority is exercised in the world. And that's what our sinful nature does with authority because, well, it goes back, goes back to Satan himself. That's what satanic authority looks like. That's how he uses his power. To press down, to crush, to oppress, to use for his own ends. Verse 26. But it shall not be so among you, Jesus says. My people, your concept, your understanding, and your exercise of authority is to be totally different from what you observe in the world. Totally different. How so? Continuing on in verse 26. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. You see how Jesus flips the world's conception of authority on its head. The one who is the greatest is the one who serves. Who puts himself beneath others. And whosoever will be chief among you. That is one in possession of authority and one who exercises that authority. Let him be your servant. In short, what makes great? What makes a truly great man? That he is a servant. Who seeks not his own. Often at the expense of others. But who at his own expense seeks the good of others. Service. And now connected to authority, what does that look like? It doesn't look like this. The chief man sitting upon his throne, demanding to be served, and all of his underlings doing his bidding. It doesn't look like this. The chief man exercising authority to maintain control, using fear and compulsion, dominating, exploiting those under him for his own advantage, not that, but this. The chief man getting on his knees and washing the feet of those under his authority. It looks like this. The chief man Exercising his authority to serve and to seek the good and the well-being and the upbuilding of those over whom he has been put. Not lording it over them, but ministering unto them. Not being served, but serving. Using his power not to control, but to bless. The very words Jesus uses... Chief among you, let him be your servant. Emphasizes that point because the word servant there is slave. And that draws the contrast so very starkly. If you are put in a position of authority, according to the biblical conception of authority, you are put there to be a slave. A slave unto God, first of all, who gave you that authority 
You are his bondservant. You are bound to him. You are given that position to serve and minister to others. That's the uniquely Christian conception of authority. It's beautiful. It's rich. It's the diametrical opposite of what the world says. About what it means to be great. What it means to be something. What it is to have status, power, authority. The truly great man is the one who is a servant of all. Having laid the groundwork of this uniquely Christian principle of authority drawn from the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are now in a good position to narrow our focus on the fifth commandment and draw out the implications of this uniquely Christian view of authority and see how this enables us to put the fifth commandment into proper practice. So here in the second point, we're going to follow two streams of implications. And these two streams of implications concern two groups of people that the fifth commandment addresses. First and obviously, the fifth commandment addresses those who are under authority. But the fifth commandment equally addresses those who are in authority. And we want to see how the uniquely Christian concept of authority ought to shape how we conduct ourselves towards authorities, and how we conduct ourselves in authority. To put it very simply, the fifth commandment commands that we honor God's authority. And if we are under authority, we honor God's authority by honoring the authority he has placed over us. And if we are in authority, we honor God's authority by exercising the authority he gave us as he commands. So let's look first at God's revealed will for those he has placed under authority. This is especially what the catechism focuses on as it explains the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. And the catechism explains that to mean this, that I show all honor, love, and fidelity to my father and mother, and all in authority over me. Let's look at that part first. Honor, love, fidelity. The Hebrew word honor that we find in the fifth commandment itself means to give weight to. To view something as weighty. Give it its due weight. And that's the idea of honoring. When we honor an authority that God has placed over us, we recognize that authority as weighty. Weighty because it is of God. It is of God. And that makes a very important point for us. Sometimes, there are those in authority over us that we don't find very honorable. How can I honor that person? Perhaps you think of certain leaders in the civil government. They're not worthy of my honor and respect. Well, perhaps not. But that reality doesn't change the fifth commandment, which says honor those God has put in authority. And there's, there's how. Not because of their personal worthiness 
but we honor them for the sake of the God who put them there. Look past the person in that position of authority. Look past them to the one behind them and above them, God. God. Who is pleased, who give authority to whom he will, and who is pleased even to use wicked civil rulers to govern us. We always have to go back to the last part of answer 104. Since it pleases God to govern us by their hand. No matter what we think of them. It pleases God to govern us by their hand. And thus, we honor them, give them due weight for God's sake. Look past the person to the giver of authority. And showing such honor glorifies God. But the fifth commandment especially focuses on that most basic relationship, father and mother. And so, children, you need to listen this morning. There's a special word of God himself for you. For you. Honor dad and mom. Respect them. Love them. Listen to them. Don't speak badly about them behind their backs or to your friends. This is what God says to you. Honor father and mother. And remember, the main reason is God has put them over you. God has put them there. And through dad and mom, God teaches you. God disciplines you. God helps you grow and mature. And so by obeying dad and mom, you're obeying God. You're honoring God. And you're giving glory to God. And for the youth too, there's an important reminder here. Even as you grow and mature, while you're in the home, honor and obey dad and mom. By saying that, that doesn't mean you don't honor them once you're out of the home. No, we always must honor our parents. Though that relationship changes a bit when we are out of the home and we get married and we start our own home and we leave father and mother and cleave unto our spouse. Even then, we must honor our parents. Remember that God has given our parents wisdom and experience for many years in the Christian life. It's very easy for youth to look down on parents They're out of touch. They don't understand the world as it is today. We might think, oh no, don't think that way. Show them the respect and honor that God's word calls you to. Remember, God has put them there. And God is pleased to govern you by their hand. Honor. Honor and love and show fidelity, the catechism says. It packs all of those things together, and that's important. Love. Love stands behind the honoring of our parents. Love. Love all authority, really? Yeah, that's what the catechism says. Might be easy to understand in our relationship to our parents, or to love our parents, that makes sense, but love all an authority over us? Love the civil government that's put over us? Well, we understand that the, the shape of that love is a bit different depending upon the relationship. We don't love the civil government the way we love our parents. But we can understand this when we remember what love is at its heart. Love 
is desiring, seeking, and striving for the good of another person. That's really what love is at heart. Love those that God has put in authority over you. Seek their good. Don't be making trouble for them, seeking to undermine their authority. Don't slander them. But show them love, seeking their good, speaking about them in a godly manner. Love. Love. That love also manifests itself as fidelity, meaning faithfulness and honesty. We, we owe those in authority over us certain duties, according to God's word, and we should be faithful and honest in the doing of them. We ought to be dependable. Children, be honest with dad and mom. I'll give you chores to do. Do them well. Love for them. To honor God. We don't like our civil governors very much, perhaps. Jesus tells us, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Do so honestly and faithfully to honor God. But now the catechism goes on in explaining what God's will is for those under authority. Not only that we honor, love, and show all fidelity, but also that we submit ourselves to their good instruction and correction with due obedience. Those in authority over us have been given by God the right to make rules and to expect obedience. Parents make rules in the home. All sorts of rules. How the family life is to be ordered. Who is to clean up the table after dinner. What the bedtime is. What the curfew is. And God's requirement for us children, young people, Listen and obey to dad and mom. Respect those rules. Submit. Do obedience. Do obedience. The church. Receive the good instruction and admonition of the elders. Let there not be a dismissive attitude among God's people. I don't have to listen to him. It's not about him. It's about him who put him In that position, look past the person to the God who gave that authority and receive that instruction, admonition, and good correction. Civil governors do as much as we might not like them. We are to abide by the laws, even the ones we don't like, so long as they do not force us to disobey God. And there we come to that important word that the catechism mentions. Their good instruction and correction with due obedience. That doesn't mean we get to determine what's good, and if we decide it's not good, then I don't have to listen. No, God determines what is good. What is good is that which is in harmony with God's word. And that which is bad is everything that disagrees with God's word. We are to obey in all lawful things, but we are to obey God rather than men. No man, no human authority has absolute authority. They may never command us or require of us something that is contrary to the word of God. And so, if there is one in authority that requires of us something that is contrary to the word of God, 
Though we still show them honor and respect, yet we may not and cannot obey them in that. The apostles are our example. You think of the early chapters of Acts. How Peter and John and the apostles openly disobeyed the commandment of the Sanhedrin, the supreme religious authority of the Jews in that day. And they disobeyed the command because the command was stop preaching Christ. And they must obey God rather than men. But what did Peter and John and the other disciples do? Did they stir up a revolt? No. They submitted and still showed due honor to those authorities, even though they were wicked men. So it ought to be with us. We obey the authorities God has put over us, except when their commands are contrary to the scriptures. Third and finally, the catechism explains this duty of those under authority. And also bear patiently with their weaknesses and infirmities, since it pleases God to govern us by their hand. And that's very important. Because here is an area where we might be inclined to throw off authority. They have weaknesses, those in authority. They have infirmities. They have sins. And it's very easy to think this way. Well, because of their weaknesses, because of their sins, I don't have to listen. I don't have to show honor. I can have contempt or disregard for them. We can even use those weaknesses, those infirmities, those sins in an attempt to justify our own disobedience. And the word of God, the catechism says, oh no. God still governs you by their hands. God uses weak means. We will see weaknesses in our parents, in our office bearers, in everyone given a a certain position of authority. And God's calling to us is to bear patiently with those weaknesses and infirmities and sins too. Even when we see their sins, that doesn't give us a right to sin back or sinfully throw off the fifth commandment. No, patiently bear with those weaknesses. That's Christ-like, isn't it? Think of how patient the Lord Jesus Christ was. How often he bore with people that must have been so very frustrating to him. So we are to be. Children, dad and mom aren't perfect. You're going to see their weaknesses. You'll see their sins even. That doesn't mean you get to disobey. doesn't mean you get to disrespect them. Patience. Remember, God has put them over you. And God uses weak means. They're patient with you. Be patient with them. All of us. Think of God's patience with us. You know how exasperating we have to be to God sometimes? And yet he patiently bears with us, his people. We can patiently bear with those God puts over us. But now, turning from that stream of implications, God's will for us who are under authority, how we are to conduct ourselves towards authority, we come now to the the other stream, God's revealed will for those in authority. 
This is relevant to us too because in one sphere of life or another, most of us have some sort of authority, whether it's a parent in the home, whether it's a teacher in the school, whether it's an employer, it's an office bearer, whatever it may be. The things that the catechism mentions here, honor, love, show fidelity, submit, do obedience, bear patiently, while the catechism applies these things especially to those under authority, they also apply to those in authority. Those in authority show honor, love, and fidelity to those God has put under you. That's in keeping with the unique Christian concept of authority that Jesus has laid out in Matthew 20. If you're in authority, God hasn't put you there to stomp on the people beneath you. Or to treat them as underlings. Honor them. Show them love. That means you use your authority to care for them, to seek their good. You treat them kindly, with un- without undue severity. Is it not the biblical pattern that the strong are to protect and care for the weak? And that those who have authority are to use it to shelter those who do not? That's the Bible's perspective on authority. And that's our calling as parents, as teachers, as office bearers. To use that authority to love and care for those under authority. Fidelity too. Faithfulness. Trustworthiness. That's our calling. Remember, the fifth commandment is the first commandment in the second table of the law, which Jesus has summarized for us as love your neighbor as yourself. Honoring authorities over us is how we love that neighbor. But now for those who are in authority over others, you are called to love those neighbors who are under your authority. Love them, seek their good, their well-being. And love, which seeks the good of another, seeks that good by giving of self. Here again is the unique Christian concept of authority. It's not grabbing for me, but giving from me for their good. Honor, love, and show fidelity to those under authority. And then as the catechism goes on, submit myself to their good instruction and correction with due obedience. Those in authority, submit yourself to the instruction of God and His correction. Your exercise of authority must be in obedience to His. And so parents, yes, we rule our homes. We make the laws. We make the rules. But not as we feel or on a whim, but as God commands. Always in harmony with God's word and the principles of God's word. That means justly, not arbitrarily, with kindness. Our parenting is to be seasoned with love. Even when we must be firm, 
even when we have to discipline our children, even in the using of the rod with that particularly stubborn child, seasoned with love and administered with the words of the gospel, we parent and use our parental authority in submission to the authority of our heavenly Father. And that parental authority, is it not a a self-giving, serving authority? We sacrifice for our children. We must not hold that against them. All that we have to sacrifice for them, that's God's calling to us to provide not only physically, but spiritually for their instruction, their upbringing in the faith. There's a word for husbands here too. God has placed you, husband, as the head of your home and calls you to lead your wife and your family. What does that headship look like? Does it look like the Gentiles? Or does it look like Christ? Head doesn't mean, I'm chief, I'll sit in my chair, and the family will serve me. Head means, servant of all. Servant of all. God gives you, husband, a certain authority to lead your family in decision-making and the rest. But that authority is to be exercised in strict submission to the word and will of God. And is to be exercised as servant authority for the good of your wife, the good of your children, the upbuilding of your home. It's not for you. It's not for your honor. It's for the good of the family. Young men. If you're looking towards marriage, thinking about dating, or are dating, that's what you should be thinking. When you marry your wife, you're not marrying someone who's going to be your servant for the rest of your life. You're marrying someone who you're going to serve. Servant authority, servant authority. And that must live in our hearts. We must see how beautiful that is. Yes, authority is real. But its nature is not that of the authority of the world. It's servant authority. Office bearers were sheep too. Important for us to remember that. We're sheep too. We're sheep taken from the sheepfold and put in a certain position of spiritual authority to be under shepherds, to guide, to admonish, to instruct the flock of Jesus Christ. A church authority is not for us. It's not for our honor. It's not for our glory. It's servant authority. And anyone whom God puts into office in the church, he puts there to serve all. How we must remember that. Not be lords of God's heritage, but servants of all. Not lift up ourselves, but bend the knees. Get on our hands and knees and wash feet. That's the calling of the fifth commandment to those in authority. And then thirdly, bear patiently. Come back to that part of the catechism, bear patiently. Not only are those under authority called to bear patiently with those above them, those in authority, bear patiently with those whom God has placed under you. Just as God bears patiently with you, remember God is pleased to use you For the good of those under you. You see their weaknesses. Parents, you see the weaknesses of your children. 
You see, there's stubbornness sometimes. It's frustrating. Be patient. Be patient. Office bearers, sometimes you see the weaknesses of the sheep. Sometimes certain sheep are frustrating, we might say, to the flesh. Bear patiently in love. And so we see as we tie it all together that the authority relationships in the covenant community are to be radically different from those in the world. Those in the world are characterized by power, oppression, top down. Among God's people, there is a mutual and reciprocal relationship of love between those in authority and those under authority. Those under authority honor God by showing honor, love, and fidelity to those God has placed over them. And those in authority honor God by showing honor, love, fidelity to those God has placed under them. That's the Christian conception of authority and the implications of it that guides us in the practice of the fifth commandment. But now, if you want to see all of this actually lived out, you look to the supreme example who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself is the supreme and perfect teacher of honoring God ordained authority, and he's the perfect example of it. He is the perfect example of obedience to authority. Jesus honored, loved, and showed all fidelity to his heavenly Father. Even though he, as the Son of God, is co-equal with the Father, yet the Son humbled himself. He took upon himself our flesh. He came in the likeness of man and submitted himself to the Father as the servant of Jehovah, tasked with that great work of salvation. And throughout his whole life in ministry, you read it in the scriptures, you see it's a life of submission and obedience to the will of his Father. How many times have we seen that as we've gone through the Passion Week history in the Gospel of Luke? Gethsemane. We're in a trying hour, he prays, not my will, but thy will. There's the perfect submission of the Son to the Father's will. Not only that, Jesus perfectly obeyed the fifth commandment in that he honored and submitted to human authorities that God had placed over him. You remember the one story that we have of Jesus' childhood? When he was just 12 years old? How he stayed back in Jerusalem while Joseph and Mary and the other pilgrims were returning to Nazareth? Joseph and Mary discover that he's not there and race back to Jerusalem frantically looking for him until they find him in the temple as he's asking questions of the doctors and hearing them. How exasperated his parents were. Mary goes up to him, Son, do you not know what you've just done to us? Why have you dealt with us this way? Why was Jesus there? Well, already then he was going about his father's business in submission to his heavenly father's will. But how Jesus, even at 12 years old, bore patiently with the weaknesses of his imperfect and sinful parents, such that we read in Luke 2, verses, or verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. The perfect son submitted to his imperfect parents. There is our example. Children, you can obey dad and mom. Even Jesus, who's perfect, obeyed Joseph and Mary 
who were not perfect. But Jesus is also the supreme example of the righteous exercise of authority. Jesus practiced what he preached here in Matthew 20. Look at his whole life and ministry. How did he use his authority, his power, to heal, to minister to those who were under him and those who needed him? His authority was always used in service. John 13, 14 and 15. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to have, ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Parents, husbands, office bearers, teachers, Christ has given you an example. That you should do as he has done. But Jesus is not merely the supreme example of obedience to the fifth commandment. He is the savior who has fulfilled that commandment for us. By giving his life as a ransom for many. And that's the last verse in Matthew 20. The passage which we read. Verse 28. Even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. There is the supreme act of service. Christ, the Son of God, humbles himself and gives his own life for unworthy sinners such as we are. He not only washed the dirty feet of his disciples, but he washes the souls of all of us hell-worthy sinners. There's the greatest act of self-giving authority there ever was. By which act our redemption, our redemption has been accomplished. And we have been brought into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Jesus' self-sacrificial service has taken away our sins, has paid for all of our rebellion. Against authority. We are clothed in his righteousness. It's by the power of Christ then. That we go forward. Having heard this commandment. To obey it. Not of our own strength. But in his power. And out of gratitude. Gratitude. For what Jesus has done. Jesus who came not to be ministered unto. But to minister to you. To give his life. It's a ransom for many. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, as we have heard thy command concerning authority, we see our own weaknesses and sins. Pardon us graciously. Strengthen us by thy Spirit to honor authority and to use authority after the example of Jesus Christ. And that in so doing, thy name may be glorified and praised. Bless thy word unto our hearts, that it may strengthen us. Hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen.